Good morning. Let's, um, let's go to the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, please. So over the last three weeks, um, we've just been going through this book different, maybe a bit differently to what you've heard it before or read it yourself, but we started off just understanding that you know, the people of Israel um, were living in exile. Um, they were in Babylon. In exile, um, the city... Um, the city of God was in ruins, the walls were broken, the gates were burned by fire. Nehemiah um, hears a report, God lays it on his heart to be someone who sparks uh, restoration of that city. So in obedience he goes back, <clears throat> he doesn't announce it that he's the big revivalist, he simply quietly goes in, inspects the, the city, God speaks to him, um, and he just encourages the people to gather together and build. We looked at opposition that came. Um, in different forms against him. Um, and um, how he just doesn't deviate from what God's asking him to do. It's so easy that opposition would come and, de- and we would deviate. It's, it's easy to become sidetracked um, by whatever it might be, the worries of the world, um, the condition of the flesh, the surrounding society and how they seem to be going in a direction that is not um, in the way of the kingdom, um, and it's so easy to become consumed with those things and lose focus on what God's asking us to do. And and then we we, we read last week how also we heard from Ben last week um, about more of what that looks like. What was what was the what was I used a different word a defamation and you used the word um, suspicion, <laughs> not becoming. Suspicious. I used the word. They defamed his. They brought defamation of his character. And um, again, Nehemiah just doesn't. He doesn't waver from what God's asking him to do. And then we saw how they started to bring people back into the city um, to to then build houses. There were no houses in the city at the time. The the, the walls had been restored, which we spoke of uh, two weeks ago of salvation. That that your walls are salvation, and your and your gates shall be known as praise. And um, the restoration into the church is salvation, the true message of the gospel, which is Jesus, or who is Jesus, and, and, salva- and praise. And, and we spoke about being able to pr- like understand what praise and worship is, that it's never about us. Um, it's always about Him. He, we're praising Him in a corporate sense. And I've had discussions out of that, which is interesting. I love it when you preach stuff and then it sparks discussions. And I've spoken to one or two people already about the difference between corporate worship and personal worship. And corporate worship is the gathering of us together. We come here solely to worship God as a people. We don't worship or focus on ourselves in corporate worship. You have opportunity in private worship. We, we look at the Psalms and the Psalms are not David's corporate worship songs that he wrote to be sung in the congregation. He, he was singing out to God in his time of anguish. None of that was written to... David didn't go, well, I'll write this about my troubles and my strife and where I'm at, and then what we'll do is I'll get the whole of Israel to sing about it. That's just not what worship is, man. Do you know what I'm saying? A psalm is not a worship song. It's a psalm. It's him singing to God from his spirit as to where he's at. That's how David chose to communicate with God. He was a worshiper in heart, and he sung to God for some reason. I don't know why. We'll ask him when we get to heaven one day, why you chose that way. For me, I just pray and whinge like a baby, you know what I mean, in my closet. I don't sing, oh God, woe is me, oh Lord, I'm broken down. You know what I mean? 
you could if you wanted to, and no one's going to judge you because David did it. You know what I mean? But it's not, I'm not going to write that and bring it in and say, hey, congregation, I want you to sing this song with me today. And it's all about how I'm being chased by someone who's trying to kill me. And oh my gosh, look at me, I'm in the dust. And, you know, that's not corporate. Corporate worship is God. And, I'm going to, and, and you're going to see it so evidently now as we read chapter 8 uh, of Nehemiah. It goes, Ezra, the, chapter, the, the, the heading of the chapter, which some man wrote there, is Ezra reads the law. And all the people, I, I think it's just Ezra, Ezra reads the Torah. Because that's really what it was, you know, was the Torah. The, the Torah was their word. That was their way of life. That's what God had said to him. I want you to live like this. This is, this is for you to live. If you live like this, you will live in the spacious blessings of who I am. That's effectively what it is. You know, the word law has become quite a disgraceful word, but the Jews didn't understand the law as a set of rules to follow. They understood it as a lifestyle. And all the people, from verse 1, and all the people gathered as one man or one nation into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, who was also a prophet, to bring the book of the Torah that Moses had written, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest, I love it, he's got like a whole lot of names there. He's a priest, he's a scribe, he's a prophet. He's a multi-talented fellow. So Ezra the priest brought the Torah. I'm going to change the word law because I know in your, if, I'm, if I mention an English word, it, it sways our way of thinking. So I'm going to change it to what it actually is. So Ezra, Ezra the priest brought the Torah before the assembly, both men and women, all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Wow, imagine that. Imagine we preached from early morning until midday. People would start watching their clocks, get a bit frustrated, walk away. These people stood and they listened to the word of God being spoken to them. Very different to our day. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the Torah, to the Torah. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. And beside him stood, and then they named these people, which I'm not going to get into naming them, it's too hard. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. It's quite interesting. I've never been in a church where as we open the book to read from the Word, that people stand up. But I did notice that, and I have read accounts of the, of the, of the Jews, that when they would open the scrolls to read from the Torah, that they would all stand up in honor of that very Word because they held that Word of God as such, a, as such high honor and respect. This was God's very Word. I was reading that and I thought to myself, it's quite interesting that um, oftentimes when, we, when, we, when we, we're preaching from the Bible and you, you'll read a, an account, which is an, it is an account, but we always say, in the story, we use this language, in the story of this, in the story of that. Stories are, are kids' books that you read to your children when they fall asleep. That's a story. Let me tell you a story. It's generally made up. We often read things out of the scriptures, and I'm telling you right now, in our minds, we don't actually realize or compute that this actually really happened. Does any, do, you, do you ever get, sometimes I read them like, Lord, when I read this, people actually don't realize that this really took place. Like, this really happened in real life. There was really a flood that destroyed the earth. 
There was really an ark that floated on it. You know what I mean? There were really Nephilim giants in the land. There, were, there, were, there is really this stuff taking place. There is really a devil. He's not just a snake that you see in a garden, you know, tempting some woman to eat an apple. He, he's, he's a real spiritual being that is completely 100% on this earth alive. He's not well, but he's alive and he knows what his end is. But he's operating all the time. There was a man called Jesus. It's not a story about some fella. It's a, it's a, it is a man called Jesus. He walked on water. Dead people did come back to life. A man named Lazarus, who was inside a Lazarus, not Lazarus, sorry, Lazarus, who was inside a tomb after four days while his body was almost decaying, came out of that tomb in front of a whole town of people. On the day Jesus died, dead people came out of their graves and walked around the city of Jerusalem. That's in the Bible. That's not a story. That's not, that's not Hansel and Gretel in the forest. This is actual real accounts of real historical events. Now, we read history books and we go, oh, that's fantastic. That really happened. And in our minds, we compute that. We watch the history channel. But when we read the Bible, we don't compute that these things actually took place. And I think we've got to learn to do that. We've got to hold the Word of God. This thing that we call the Bible, you know, which whatever was inside this book that we have called the Bible, a group of men managed to, you know, tell us what's in there and we, we can know about God through it. But, but inside this Bible is the Word. The Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is sharper than, than any two-edged sword. It, it's, you know that, what it means? Living and active. That's why it changes. It's always, it, the interpretation is always changing for you, for life, to reveal God. Let's hold this word in honor and respect. And Ezra opened the book inside of all the people and they stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Amen means let it be so or let it be. Okay? And we use that word Amen quite loosely at the end of a prayer. You know, Lord bless our meal tonight. I pray that you bless it to our bodies, bless the hands that made them. We're thankful for all these things. Amen. Anyone say amen? What it means is whatever that person said, you, when you say amen, you go, let it be. Let that be so. Let it be true. Let it be manifest. Let it be real. You know what I mean? It, it says that every promise in Jesus is, finds its yes and amen. And it's let it be so. And it's let it, this thing manifest. That's why it's very... I used to sit in church when we started getting this incredible revelation of God's grace, and there would be guys who were preaching a mixture of law and grace. Very reformed. It's like one side of it is like you're dying and you're going to go to hell and you need to cling to your salvation because God's unhappy with you because you're sinning and blah, 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 blah. And guys go, amen. And I, and I used to stop amening. I was like, no, I'm not going to amen that. Because when you amen, it means let that be so. Let that manifest into my life. I take ownership of that, and I want it to be in my life manifest. And I'm going, I, actually, no. I'm not going to accept that because it's not truth. I only amen the truth. I only want the truth to be so. Right? So we've got to be careful. If you don't feel like, you know, the preacher will preach, and you go, amen, everyone's amen. Think about it for a while. If you don't believe what's being spoken about, just hold your Amen. Hold it till a later date. You don't have to say it now. It's not a little catchword at the end of a sermon. Okay? Amen? <laughs> I'm testing you guys. I like it. You're actually awake. You're listening. A couple of people would have maybe like, oh, gee, hang on. That does a test. 
So they answered, let this be so, lifting up their hands. I love that. Now they're worshiping with their hands raised high. For those people who struggle with the fact that we raise our hands and wave them around, one of the words for worship is called yada, and it's to do this, yada. It's to wave your hands around. Why? I don't know. It's just, this is, this is what, it just seems good. Do you know what I mean? But that's what it is. You yada. Anyway, they lift their hands when he's reading the word of God, and they bow their heads to, to the ground. It's pretty much what it looked like without the microphone. And they worshipped the Lord with their faces facing towards. Remember, they're standing, their hands are raised, and their faces are now towards the ground, which is a sign of surrender. It's really what it is. Also, a couple of these other guys that have dodgy names that, you know, if you want to name your kids them, they're pretty cool. Azaria is probably one that I would um, probably use. They help the people to understand the Torah, sorry, the Word of God. While the people remained in their places, they were committed. They read from the book of the Torah of God clearly, and they gave the sense or the interpretation so that the people understood the reading. That's what we do when we're preaching today. Like, effectively, that's all my role is today to preach, is to, is to take the Word of God, to, to speak it, and then to give it to you so that you understand it. Really, it's got to be practical. You've got to be able to take it, have a, number one, have a revelation of who God is, which changes your relationship with your Father, and, and then you can go, oh, I can actually practically apply that to my life. If, if you're not getting that out of the Word, then I don't know what's going on, but you, you, we're not trying to tickle your intellect. Now, Paul himself said, Paul the Apostle, he said, I did not come to you, when I came to you, I did not come with wise and persuasive words. Now, I've heard preachers, man, I've got to have the dictionary open when that man is talking. I know one of those guys. I know him quite well, actually. And you've got to have a dictionary. I'm like, what, what? this is like this tickling our ears. It sounds intellectual. It sounds saucy and juicy. But it's not. It's really confusing. I don't know what you're saying. I don't even know what that word is. Someone like, you know, a, a, a really basic, simple person who needs to understand what's being spoken of. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law, or the words of the Torah. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, we have that word, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We use that all the time. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And we put on our fridge magnets, and we've got it framed in our little thing where, you know, granny's crocheted this little, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know what I mean? And we have this as like in the front of our Bibles. But read, read it in context. Read it in the context. I want to bring it into this context now is, where, oh, there's the clock there, so I have to keep looking down. The, the, so this is what happens. The people have come back in now. The Word of God, the Torah, the Tanakh, the, the, the life-giving source of God for the people of Israel was, was being read out. And, and for some reason, the people lost focus in that moment. They started to realize their issues, right? So they lost focus. That's what, I'm, I'm just, I, that's what I can interpret. Because the word of God's come, they're focusing on some of their issues now. They suddenly lost focus. And, and, and Ezra, the prophet, scribe, 
priest and, 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 um, and Nehemiah say to them, listen, don't, don't, this is not a day for you to mourn. Like this is, a, uh, this is a day of focusing on God. For me, that's our corporate worship. I bang this drum often. I have been for a while when, since I got the revelation. When we come into this place corporately, it's, it's not a time for you to focus on your stuff. I, was, I, I wanted to use a more saucy word there, but we're in church, so we just keep it tidy, right? But, but what we do is this. I'm just going to use my, my wife's handbag, right? So, so we come in, and, and you must, you need to. We, we, all of us, we've got baggage. There's something, I don't know. If you, who's in a bad season right now? I'm not going to put my hand up because actually I'm in a great place. But you're, you're, in a, you're in a difficult time. Who, who's, in a, who's in a difficult time? You don't have to all raise your hands for, for my sake. But if you're struggling, just go, yes, we're a family. No one's going to bother. A couple of people struggling there. Who's in a pretty good place? You're like, yeah, actually, this is a great season right now in life. Yeah, awesome. You know what I mean? But we come in, for those of us who do have struggles, and we never negate that. You, you, we've all, you, got, you, got a, you got a bit of baggage, you got a bit of baggage. But we come in to worship the king, corporately now. This is not your private David time. This is... This is the congregation. And we go, Father, I have this issue. This is my problem. This is my problem. This is my problem. I need to bring that, and I want to focus on that problem because I want you to take it away. So I'm going to focus on it because I need you to remove this. Well, what's going to happen to you? Well, well who's getting the glory here? This, me, this issue, you know what I mean? This is not where it's at. What you do is you bring this into the prison. Don't leave it at the door because you don't want to pick it up when you go. Bring it with you. You walk to the altar and you go, Father, I have this problem. I'm just going to leave a chair. And I'm going to stand with my brothers and sisters and we're going to raise our voices and we're just going to focus on you. And when I leave this place, I don't pick that bag up and take it with me because I've given it to God. I've placed it at the foot of the king. This time of corporate is not a time for us to, to, to minister to this. <laughs> we'll pray for you for that if you've got issues and you're struggling. If you want to go back and pick it up, we'll stop you and just say, hey, listen, let's just pray that you have the mindset to leave that there. Leave it. You can't change it, can you? Now, if you've made a foolish mistake, God's going to give you the way on how to get yourself out of it. But it doesn't mean you've got to pick it up. You've got to pick up the solution and walk out. Or you've got to leave that problem there and go, Lord, I leave this with you. You solve this. But I'm going to worship, I'm going to worship you. It, it's, I've gone through the scriptures. I've gone through them. And I cannot find where a corporate time is a time for us. It's not. It's a time for God. And that's what one of the restorations of the gates was. These people lost focus for a moment. And they started going, oh, my gosh, this is us. And then... Then he goes, oh, hold on a second. Let me explain something to you. This is a day of joy. This is a day of giving glory and honor to God. I want you to take fattened food and sweet wine because that speaks of kingdom celebration. If you notice through Israel's feasts, it was all about feasting. That's why we're called the feasts. You know what I mean? It was all about festivities. Why? Because a festivity was towards the kingdom. It was always a picture of the eternal realm of God's place. You look at the you you look at the um, what Jesus does on 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 at his last supper is he sits down and he eats a meal with them. They would have drunk wine. It's okay, accept it. Okay, it wasn't fruit juice. 
it was from the, it was wine. It had it had alcohol in it. Now he wasn't saying, "Oh, we need to all go and get drunk now." What he was doing is he was showing them all of the feast was about festivities, being merry, celebrating God. It's a sign and a picture. And he says this, in the midst of it, he goes, I want you to go and I want you to celebrate because this is holy to the Lord. And then he says this, do not be grieved in the midst of this. He goes, don't focus on your issues and what's gone wrong because the joy of the Lord is your strength, not the focus of your garbage. God knows your garbage. You don't even have to tell him about it. You don't have to go and say, oh Lord, you know. He goes, I know, I saw it all. (laughs) None of it was hidden from me. But you can come and say, God, all this stuff that's come, I'm putting it there. Some of it's outside of my, I didn't do it to myself. It just happened to me. I'm putting it there. This is a mistake I made, Father. I was foolish in a decision I made. Help me. Help me to make the right choices. Put it down there. And, and show me the way. What must I do to get out of this? What mess do I need to clean up? Because I've spilled paint on a whole of the people. But let's not turn our corporate times of worship into corporate times of focusing on ourselves. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that had been declared to them. I just love that. When we have the Word of God preached, I used to go to church, when the first four years of my life I was in a Reformed church, so it meant that we were up and down. You know, you were were like a yo-yo Christian. You were, you, were, you were somewhat bad and a sinner and needed to sort of sort that out, and you were somewhat, you know, grateful that you'd been saved. You know, and for me, salvation was pretty much like a mortgage. You, 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 got the, you got it up front, but then you got to pay it off. You know what I mean? And that's how I lived. So every sermon was enough to make you joyful to some level, but, but also enough to make you feel pretty crappy and need to come back again and, next week and listen. And, and sort stuff out. And, and what I began to realize is that I wasn't hearing the true word of God. I wasn't hearing the gospel. There was no liberation. There was, I, was, I left feeling like there was work I had to do to achieve this. But there was, you know, but, but somehow God was going to step in and, and sort of give me, you know, 10% of help. Rather than understanding, hey, I'm free. I don't need to live like that anymore. Hey, I'm free. I'm actually going to celebrate and rejoice because I've understood the word of God. Amen. Think about it. You can amen that when you get home. You'll be driving one day. You go, God's actually really that good. Amen to yourself in the car. That's what you're going to do. You're going to drive and go, actually, what Brad said was true. But when we hear the word of God, it should bring rejoicing. It shouldn't bring like, oh, I feel a little bit dirty inside. I've never, f- you know what? When, even when, you, even when, when your acts of the flesh are exposed, you always left empowered to walk free. That's the truth. When the truth hits you, that's what happens. You don't feel condemned. Conviction is not condemnation. Just, just get that straight. Conviction means this. In the, in the Greek word that we get in our Bible, conviction means this. To convince the mind of truth. Wow, doesn't that just change your perspective? So, so is my fleshly ways truth? No. Why? Because I'm a new nature. I'm a new creation, right? So, so I don't need my mind convinced of my pathetic decisions. <laughs> I need my mind convinced of truth, of, of what? The victory in Jesus, of who He is, of who God is, of my new creation that I find in Him. 
You see, you can't even find it in yourself. It's got to be found in Him. Everything's got to point towards Him. That's conviction. That's a convincing of my mind. That's what the Holy Spirit does all the time. He wants to convince your mind of truth. He doesn't want to convince your mind of you. This makes sense? Makes sense to me. Even as I'm preaching it, I'm going, it sounds pretty good. Because <laughs> it sounds, sounds good to me. You know what I mean? And I'm just reading out of here. I'm not making up stories. So on the second day, the heads of fathers, houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the word of the Torah. I love that. So now they hear it. It sparks off a celebration, which it should do. Well, firstly, they, had to, they, went, they, they did what we do. They focus on themselves quickly. Lucky Ezra was there and Nehemiah to go, oh, hold on, just focus, focus back up again, guys. Let's go and celebrate. Let's have a big party because the, the joy of the Lord's actually what's going to be your strength, not any of this. And then all of a sudden, something changes. Now they want to go and they want to listen and learn more. So now the heads of the families, because remember, this is a massive nation, they went to these the prophet, scribe, priest, and the governor who was leading them and said, can you tell us more? We want to know more. That's, that's what it should spark. When you hear the truth, it should spark a desire for more. You know, you shouldn't want to go, I'm not going to open that because <laughs> it's not good. When I open it, something bad happens inside of me. That's not how it should be. I used to, at one point, I was like, oh, I've got to go to church and get beaten again today. And I did. I did get beaten. After every sermon, I don't know if I've told the story, but after ben, ben knows it and so does Naomi. After every sermon, after every, sorry, after every um, Sunday service, the lead elder, pastor, whatever you want to call him, of the church used to call me because I was his like project. I was the, 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 the drug addict, drug dealer, ruffian who had now been born again, uh, you know, with the tattoos. He's now coming and we're going to just, we're going to fast track this guy to becoming a leader in the church because that looks good for us. It's a good product seller. And you're going to sell a good product. So anyway, he, he, um, he would literally sit down and he'd go, fantastic, um, he has a few things that you need to sort out. And he'd give me a list, three to four to five, sometimes ten items on that list. So much so that after quite some time, I actually just said to him, when he called me, I said, listen, why don't you do this? Every week you call me to come and sit down. This is me talking to the senior leader, you know. Every, time you, 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 every, every week you call me and you give me two or three things. I said, why don't you just give me everything that's wrong with me and I'll go and sort it out, then I'll come back. And you know what he did? He gave me ten things. He's like, yeah, you gave us ten things. He used to, I used to hold the mic like this because I never knew. I hadn't been trained in churchianity. So I'd get up and share like a word that God had laid in my heart. And I'd go and say, look, I really felt God's laid this in my heart. Why? Because as a young Christian, I was learning to prophesy, you know, in my gifting. So he would give me the mic. And the, one, the first time I held the mic like this. And I just shared something very basic. can't even remember what it is. But I do remember what happened afterwards. I couldn't re How's that? I cannot remember the word that I shared, which God had given me. But I do remember this, that that elder came afterwards and he called me and he rebuked me. He said, who do you think you are? Some rap star holding the microphone like this. And he showed me how to hold it like this to the bottom of my chin so that I can talk. So do you know what I did? I stopped bringing forward prophetic words. It's dried it up. It's dried it up. Isn't that something? Isn't that just the wonderful freedom of God? Garbage. So when I, when I started finding out the truth, about who my God really is. Let me tell you something. I was like a rabid animal. I wanted to bulldoze the walls that lock people in. I hate the stinking, filthy, legalistic teachings that men have brought in and just watered down this incredible freedom of God's word. I, I, I hate it with a passion. 
to the point that I committed seasons of my life to preaching so strongly for the Word of God that it would just destroy. And guess what we saw? Signs, wonders, and miracles. Why? Because in the Bible, when they preached the gospel, signs, wonders, and miracles followed. Why? Because that's what the truth does. It manifests the kingdom. Amen? Should I stop saying amen just to, to... I'm not trying to catch you out now. This is not... The test is over. You've passed. If you really feel it, let's amen it. If it's truth, you can because we want to... We wanna, amen! Let it be so, Lord. Let us be free. Okay? The test is over. I'm not taking any more marks. Now, the people of Israel, from chapter 9, we're going we're gonna to jump through. I'm not going to read too much chunky portions. We're going to sort of go through a bit. The people of Israel now confess, the, the heading says they confess their sin. That's wonderful. Thank you, Mr. Reformed uh, theologian who wrote that in there. But the reality is, is that as, uh, let's just quickly go to chapter 3. Sorry, it's, uh, chapter 9, and we'll just quickly read that one quick portion. On the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And that was how they, that's how they uh, repented, right? Repentant, the word means, uh, the Greek word is metanoia, and it means to, to, uh, to renew, to renew the mind, to turn the mind upwards again. That's what metanoia means, to, to, to turn your mind towards, okay? It's not groveling on the floor. And they, so verse, I'm sorry, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood, and they confessed their sin and the iniquities of their fathers, and they stood up in their places, and they read from the book of the Torah of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession. I love this. Watch how they make confession. They made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. Now, you've heard me say this before. Sin is, means, the word is, is to miss the mark. And it, it's not to miss the mark. It's not behavior. Sin is not your behavior. Your behavior is the acts of the flesh. It comes out of the missing of the mark in your affection. Our affection, man's affection was towards the most high God, right? To worship God Almighty, the creator, the great I am, Yahweh. What Adam and Eve did is they turned the affection away from God because the one in the garden who tempted them got them to focus on something else, and that was themselves. If you eat this fruit, you will, you will be like God. Oh, actually, we'll eat that. Why? My affection turned from God towards myself. And in that moment, sin entered. Sin, they missed the mark. That means that sin is actually this. It's to turn your affections away from God towards something else. Be that a foreign God, which are false gods, which are spiritual beings. Because remember, there's demons. Remember that? And there's Satan. They're spiritual beings, so, so, so every, every idol that you see, when we go to India and Sri Lanka, there's idols, there's all these idols. All of those idols are attached to a spiritual being. The idol's nothing, it's just a, just a thing that's been made from stone or cast and metal, whatever, but, but it's attached to a, to a demon, which they think is a god. And they can have 15 of these, hundreds of them, doesn't matter. When you turn your affection away from God, your worship away from God, that's sin. That, that, that's what sin is. And that puts you into an exiled state. That's why man was they were exiled from the garden. And Israel, every time, and we went, remember we spoke about it, every time Israel worshipped a foreign god, one of their kings allowed that to happen, the people were plundered by foreign nations and they were, they were removed from their land. Ultimately, the, 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 uh, Babylon. Babylon was the ultimate one which is where Nehemiah comes in now. He's now coming in to restore what? Salvation and praise and worship to then bring people back in. We know, we know that he didn't actually 
really change anything because we all stayed in exile. Israel never ever took back the place that God had promised to Abraham, which was that through him, they were supposed to be a kingdom of priests ministering to the nations. That's why when Jesus came, he, he shifted all of that. Okay, We don't have time to go through all of that. But However, it says this, they made their confession for what their fathers had done. Our fathers, and if you look at their confession, we'll read it in a second, a, a little portion of it. But they made confession for what they had done, and in their confession, they worshipped the Lord Almighty. See, it wasn't about, even about them. Even in that, like, God, we have strayed from you in worshipping foreign gods. Our fathers led us astray and went after the gods of other nations. That's part of their confession. However, we worship you, the Lord God Almighty, the Most High God the one and only true giver of life. And they did this on the stairs. And then, and then um, halfway through chapter, uh, verse 5 of that same chapter, it says, Stand up, so this, is what, this is what the priest says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it. There's a whole lot inside there to do with like spiritual realms and stuff, which, you know, he made all the heavens not, and all the hosts of heaven. Remember, there's angels up there. There's demons up there. It, not, not, in, not in the throne room, but in the spiritual dimension, which we don't physically see with our eyes. Okay, and, then, and you've made the earth and all that's in it, the seas and all that's in them, and you preserve all of them. And the hosts of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And you gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faith. See, this is their worship. Now they're praising God for what he's done, for all of his attributes and all of the victories that God has created. That's what praise and worship looks like. They then go on, and you, you know where that, that, that takes me back into Stephen's speech? Remember before he got stoned? He speaks about what God had done, and then, he sp and then he gets to the bottom. He goes, but you are just like your fathers. You have strayed from God, and that made them angry and stoned him. <laughs> he just, you know what I mean? He pointed out the sin. You have worshipped everything else but Yahweh. And bang, he gets killed for it. And he goes on to speak, and then through this, from verse... Um, Chapter, uh, verse 17, it says, They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. So they lost their focus on God. What did God say to Moses and them? He says, I want you to do this. I want you to keep telling the people who will keep telling other generations of all the wonderful things I've done, of who I am, what I did when I brought you up out of Egypt that I did mighty signs and wonders and miracles on your behalf to bring you into the land that I promised to give you. The, the promised land, friends, was meant to be a restoration of Eden. That's why God chose Abraham. He, a, the, the promised land was to be a restoration of, of Eden. It was to be a place like the garden in which the people of God would minister before their God. And then from that place, they would, in the glory of God, they would become a nation of priests and kings who would go out and bring the other nations who were lost, bring them in. That's why Jesus, in, when Jesus says in the temple, um, he, goes, he goes, this is to be a house of praise, but you have made it a den of robbers, making it 
about money. And what Jesus is doing is actually quoting one of the prophets, where, he, where that prophet speaks about the Gentiles being able to come into the temple and worship God next to the Jews. Why? Because that was God's heart all along. It was never to bring a segregation between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was that the Jews were chosen to become ministers and priests like Abraham, like, sorry, like Adam and Eve, and they were then to minister to all those nations, taking his glory and advancing his kingdom into all nations, driving out the spiritual enemies of God, not the people. The spiritual gods were to go. But what did Israel do? They brought the foreign gods in to Israel. And they allowed people to set up their Asherah poles and their temples. And they themselves even began to worship. And when they did that, they never ever took on the form of what God had called them to. Let me ask you this, church. What is our role in Christ? Because Christ came to redeem all of that. To restore all that was lost. That means that he restores us back to the... Eden state, back to the garden state. And then our hearts become that garden that we to tend. We must tend the garden, tend the garden. And what Adam and Eve were to do is to tend the garden, then go out from there into all the earth, bringing the glory of God to that earth. Back in, tend the garden. Remember, they had free access to that garden. They had free access to eat from the tree of life. What do we have access to? To eat from the tree of life. Who's that? Jesus. We eat from him, tend the garden. We go out. We bring the glory, subduing the earth. You don't walk into your boss's office and go, listen, yeah, I'm subduing this. This company is now mine. Not like that. What you do is you bring God's presence in your company. You bring it in the school. You bring it in the college. You bring it in the family. Start with your family. Bring God's presence into your home. Number one. Then family, friends, and beyond that. So, so what happens is, we, the church, when we lose focus on worshiping God, when we lose focus on the truth of God's word, the true gospel of who is Jesus, what happens is we start to focus on all other things, and the focus goes off God, and what happens? Little ashrapoles. We may not be worshiping demons and, and devils and, you know, Molech and all this kind of stuff, but we, but we, we allow these tiny little ashrapoles of your issue, of un, I need my little blessing. Oh, that, doesn't that sound like Adam and Eve? You know? So what happens is we start to set up these tiny little things, and it's, let me tell you, it's, in Western society, it's ever so slight. It's just, it's just a little bit off. Well, I'm going to focus on that. Gone. Focus on God is gone. Any, anything that, and every, if the enemy wants to get anything right, is he wants to take our focus off God just, just by one millimeter. Now, if you understand, if, if, if I'm heading on a course towards north, if I change by one degree to either side of that, Right now, it seems okay. A few steps down the road, it seems okay. So let's have a look at this. If I'm walking in this line here, and I've got to walk down that aisle, so I'm facing this direction, that's my way towards God. If I turn this way here, just ever so slightly, and I face towards Sean, guess what happens? I'm walking. It's still okay. I can see it. I can see it. I can see it. It's still there. It seems okay. We sort of got it going. We're doing our worship and praise. We've got the word going. How much further away from that mark am I actually getting? So years down the line, hello, Western Christianity. Where are we? <laughs> we done so far down there, we don't even know how to find our way back again. And we go, we want revival. Oh, we, we, we're standing because we want revival. We want revival. I was chatting to Paul Tottle, and he just mentioned something to me. And I just went, that's, what, that's the problem. We want revival. And he said this to me, he goes, he goes, you can't have revival without a wineskin. And he goes, the church has lost the wineskin. God will not pour out the wine unless there's a wineskin that can hold the wine. And he went, and the wine is this. 
It's love yourself, love your neighbor, worship God only. And I went, wow, actually, we've made church, we've made church all about us, all about who we are, what we can gain from it, what I can get from it, how I feel when I'm in the meeting, how the facility is set up towards me. The songs are all about God actually blessing me. The, the courses that are set up are when I want to go, so that it's all at my convenience. We have a whole other ministry that's set up, so if I feel like today I want to go feed the poor, I can go to Set Free Care and I can work there, but I don't have to go back for the next four months because it really doesn't matter. I've had my little, my little satisfaction of, we, we gave to the poor. Remember we did that seven months ago? We, we went and fed them. What's next? Oh, you want to go on a ministry trip? I feel like going overseas. I've never been to Sri Lanka. I'll jump on board that trip. Guys, I'm telling you, 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 you look at me and we laugh about it, but it's true. Am I right? It's true. If you've got a heart for the poor, go find set free care and go and serve there for the season, for the rest of your life, whatever. You know? We've lost the focus. And this is what happened to Israel. And we see Nehemiah coming and restoring it. And what happens, unfortunately, and this is where we'll end it, is you go through all these wonderful chapters. We see um, him sealing the people in the covenant. We see him bringing the obligations of the covenant. We see him setting up leaders in Israel. We see them you know, rebuilding villages around. We see all these wonderful things. The priests are restored and everything. Nehemiah goes off, and guess what happens? In comes Tobiah. I'm part of this community. I'm married to a Jewish lady. My name sort of comes from the heritage. Tobias is a Jewish name. And in he comes, and he sets himself up inside the temple of God, and he starts living off the people. And all of a sudden, everybody just panders to him. And, and, and before you know it, the city's back in ruin again. Now, the walls weren't broken down, but what Nehemiah heard is that the people have gone wayward. They're starting to f- take their focus off God. They're starting to take their worship away, and they're starting to sway, and, and, they, and they, they are defiling, is the word I want to use. They're defiling this holy temple, this city. And Nehemiah comes back in at the end, and he's very, very righteously angry, <laughs> just like Jesus when he walked into the temple and saw just what an absolute debauchery it was. And Nehemiah comes back, and he's pretty peeved. And he says this in verse 11 of chapter 13. He goes, so I confronted the officials and I said, I love that. I, he's not afraid to confront them. I confronted them. You know, this whole thing of sissy nanny state, you can't say that because it's offensive and you can't really address people. Rubbish. He confronts them on truth. He goes, I confronted them and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? We need prophets to stand up and ministers to stand up and, and have the, to say why is this house forsaken? Oh, no, you can't say that. You know, we all want to be lovers. Jesus was a lover. He was the greatest lover. He was the most gracious. Yet he walked into a temple, handmade a whip, and drove out the people. I'm not saying he whipped them, but I don't think Jesus, meek and mild, walked through. He's like, can, can you please leave this, this house? You know, what you're doing is it's not right in the sight of God. That wasn't what Jesus did. I think he would have grabbed someone by the shoulders and physically walked them to the door like a, you know, get out of this place. Kicking over tables. He didn't just like turn it over like, oh, that's a statement I've made. He kicked over tables where the, the pigeons and the doves that were sacrifices that were inside boxes or, or cages would have hit the floor, fallen over. He cracked whips so that the animals would, would run out. People, there was, there was mayhem, friends. People are going, who's this madman shouting over a crowd of people? He didn't have a loudspeaker. He would have shouted, get out. 
Get out of this place. Look what you've made this. This is my father's house. It's a house of prayer for all nations. All should be welcome. And you, look what you're doing. You're making money out of this thing. You've forsaken the house of God. This is what he would have done. I would love to just have seen that. Because I think what we read in our little storybooks with the 70s Jesus, you know, he's 70s, he's got his nice little bob hairstyle, his beard's been well manicured down at the barber shop, his sandals are brand new. He's quite weedy and skinny like the man you see on the cross, you know, the malnourished Jesus on the, on the Catholic cross. So, and, and, you know, that's not who he was. He was a robust carpenter man who walked for miles. He, was, he, was, he had calluses on his hands and his feet. It says that in his, if, in his physical state, he wasn't blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus. You know, he wasn't from the Nor- Norway. He was, a, he was, an, he was a, an Israelite. He was a Middle Eastern man. And he was pretty upset about what had happened, just like Nehemiah. Because what does man do? We want revival. So we come in. This man comes in. I feel like God has called me to start revival on the Gold Coast. Let me start a church and make it look like all the other churches. And then all of a sudden, it's all about this man's ministry. And before you know it, we've all gone straight back to where we were before. Because if there was revival on the Gold Coast, friends, we'd be reading about it. You'd know. You would know. Because like I said last week or a week before, whatever it was, in the days where there was no social media, there was no television newscasts, or very few of them, everybody knew when revival had started somewhere. Because everybody was telling about it. I don't see anything. It's pretty dead if you think about it to me. Think, look around the world. What's going on? I want to say, because we took our sticky little human fingers and popped it into God's work. Because that's what we do, unfortunately. We make it all about us. This is fantastic. This is birthed in revival. We can have as many revival meetings as you want. But if your fingers are stuck inside there for your benefit, focus in the wrong direction. And I gathered them together and I set them in their stations. And we watch how, how um, Nehemiah rebukes them. He rebukes the leaders of the city that he had left there because they had led the people astray by allowing all this other worldly, earthly, Babylonian-style, Chaldean-style way to creep in and just shift the focus of the people away from God. And Nehemiah wasn't going to stand for it. We know from hundreds of years later, nothing changed. Israel continued in their ways. The word of God was silent for 300 and something years or more, actually. Silent. No prophet. Imagine that. No prophet prophesied. Nothing. Just dead silence. And look what happened. By the time Jesus arrives, there's absolute mayhem. The word of God, they've, they've changed the Torah of God into all these laws that they had written, that men needed to, to um, sort of comply by, and that were unrealistic. They weren't even anything to do with God, because no, the word of God was then silent. And so all these priests had risen themselves up, and the money racking, they were making money, an organization out of what was meant to be Judaism, was meant to be a place of worship for God. And Jesus comes into the midst of that, and he just turns everything on its head. My thing, friends, is we're about the restoration. Now, I believe that this is a Nehemiah season. But we don't want to go to the end of Nehemiah. We want to stay in the restoration of the city where the walls of salvation are up. The word is being proclaimed, and we want to, we want to maintain it. We can't have me reach 
90 years old and nothing's changed. Like I want to see that restoration pass to another generation. It has to be. It has to be. I mean, I don't know. At the moment, everyone says, oh, God's going to return before I die. I'm like, oh, I don't know. At the moment, when I look around the church, we're really not doing anything to bring the lost in and the kingdom in. So I don't think God's going to just go, that's fine. I've had enough now. All these people can go to hell. He's like, it's not going to be how he's going to be. But So I get irate because I was in a renewal in the church, and then I watched that just fade away as man stepped in and said, oh, actually... We're going to do this, this, and this. And, and just it dried up instantaneously. So it irks me. It hurts me to see what we, what we saw, and then it's gone. Now, I don't think we're in revival. I don't think we should even focus on revival. I think we should focus on renewing these things, salvation, praise, and, 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 and honoring that word of God in our lives and creating, as Ben has said to me before, creating a wineskin. Create a wineskin that God's spirit can actually, we can host and hold God's spirit well. And, and a wineskin doesn't just let the wine fall to the floor. The wineskin is what holds the wine so that people can come and drink of it. If we can't take wine to people, what's the point? And God's not going to pour out his wine, his spirit, where there's no correct wineskin because all it does is bursts. And it just bursted and the wineskin is broken. The church will be broken. And, and the wine itself, that spirit of God, will just be, will just be wasted. The, 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 that, that ability for, it to, for the spirit to influence society will be wasted. So God will just wait because God is very patient. <laughs> Let me tell you, he's eternally patient. So he will wait for 40 years if he must. And 100, 1,000 earthly years. It's like one day for God. But we don't have the time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. I'm not going to be around in a thousand years. I'm not going to be in a hundred years. I, I sure as heck want to see a move of God fresh in the church. Now, we're a small community, but God doesn't really care. If you look at the Bible, he really doesn't care about numbers, does he? Although he, there is a book called Numbers, so there's something valuable there. But besides the point, he doesn't really care about numbers. He just cares about hearts. He could take 12 people and turn the whole world on its head. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that he could work very comfortably with us. Even though we may be carrying our bags around, he doesn't care about that. He knows the bag's there. Just put it down at the altar. Worship God, and he will use you. He, doesn't, he, he uses wallies. That's what he does. He's good at that. He's good at taking a bunch of foolish people from pathetic places like, that you can't even, you know. No one goes there. And he's like, I'll use you, because he loves to confuse the wise with the foolish. So if we all stood up and said, God, we're foolish. We're just a bunch of foolish people who love you and want to see you move. He has our baggage. We're just going to all leave it there. Next week, I expect to come here, and you've all got your plastic bags. Write down. Hey, let's actually maybe do that as a prophetic statement. Why don't you write down all your garbage on a piece of paper and stick it into plastic bags, and next week, why don't we just lay it down here as a prophetic statement, and then when we worship God... We, we'll just throw that stuff in the trash. Like, we don't take it home. Let's do that. I think if anyone's keen to do that, I've got a few things I'll write down. And just do it as a family if you want. Do it as an individual. And just stick it here and go, hey, we're just going to act on something. It might be foolish in your eyes, but in the spiritual realm, when you actually step out and make a prophetic statement, something happens. I don't know why, but in the Bible, I just see it happening. Old mate laid on his side for 365 days, naked, tied up, cooking his food from cow manure, in front of the people, and then after that turned on his other side for another hundred and something days, 
doing the same thing, naked. There was a massive statement. If I did that, imagine you came here and I'm laying on my side. You'd be like, this guy's cooked. <laughs> ben, you need to phone somebody. But that's what they did for a prophetic statement. I think that, you know, we're not, no one's going to get naked here. But let's come put our plastic bags down here with all our garbage in it. And let's just say, Jesus, we don't want to pick that up. We want to be a clean wineskin. We want to focus on you, and we want to ask you to do something in us and through us. Amen? Amen. Let's just close your eyes, raise your hands, put them on your heart. Father, so much we don't understand. We really don't. We don't understand it, but we, we're hungry for it. And we know that we want you above all else. We want to see you move in our lives, in our family, in our homes, in this little community, and then... From here, let it just go out, Lord, as and when you deem that we are capable of taking it beyond. But may we just be a shining light. May we just be very simplistically focused on you. We, we put aside all the fancy stuff. We, we are not into that. We, wanna, we are into you, Jesus. We just want to be with you. We want to worship you, and we want to see your name lifted up. We want your throne to be built and established over us as a people. We don't want to see... The yo-yo Christianity that we see. We just want to be consistent in our walk with you. Our model is Jesus. You are our model. Not all these other people in the Bible. We, we learn from that. But you are our model, Jesus. You were focused. You knew where you were going. You, you, were, you, you were completely and absolutely surrendered to our Father. You were consistent in your walk. And you changed everything in our lives by being our Savior. We just simply want to be a little community that are focused and committed to you. And we ask that as we do that, you would fill us with your manifest presence, not so that we can say that we've attained to something, but simply because without you, there is no true freedom. Without you, there is no true life. And we just want you with us, because where you are, then that's where life is. That's where we feel life. We do want to say, truly, without being a cliche, that Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, Lord. Let us be those who bring heaven to earth simply because we have placed our focus on you who sits on the throne in heaven. Help us, guide us, teach us, lead us. Help us deal with our offenses so we don't have to worry about them. In fact, write your offenses on that paper. Stick it there. Brad offended me because of his abruptness. Put it in the bag. And we're going to just leave it there. Amen? Amen. Thank you. I just want to quickly say before we go, I just want to highlight what Brad is not saying. Brad is not saying in this that we, we don't pray for one another and we can't bring those things to each other to see that. Sometimes we need help putting those things on the altar. But what he is saying is that that stuff comes from an overflow of a focus on God. So he's saying we focus on God, and in that place there's an overflow of the kingdom to come for us to see it. That's why we still pray for people who are sick. That's why we still want to link arms with one another and pray for each other, because there's an overflow from that kingdom. He's not saying don't talk about yourself when you come here. If you're struggling with something, tell the person next to you. Ask them to pray with you. Ask them to help God bring that thing forward. That's what it's about. So you can focus on God. Don't come and go, oh, we don't talk about our problems here because it's all about God. It is all about God, but from that overflow place, we can see the kingdom actually change that thing in our life. Is that okay?